Welcome to 2024 Crystal Ball on stocks and bonds and real estate and gold and silver and even copper, which has been coined as the new oil. We'll be getting started in just a moment. I'm Natalie Pace, your host. You're going to be able to watch this back on youtube.com forward slash Natalie Pace. Looking forward to seeing you there. Share it with your friends. It's absolutely free. And of course, if you'd like more resources, be sure to sign up for our, you know, our emails. We send them out about once a week. Go to info at nataliepace.com. Just send us a quick email and say, hey, I'd like to subscribe and get your emails. All right. See you momentarily. We'll get started. All right, so let's jump right in. And again, I did write a blog about this, so you can find that easily at nataliepace.com forward slash blog. Also, I uh, post this on my Instagram broadcast channel, so be sure that you're checking that out. Let me just show you real quickly how you can access this because you may want to go a little bit deeper. So uh, one of the ways that you can go deeper is just to go straight to nataliepace.com forward slash blog, and you're going to find it there. Um, of course, if you come next week and I have a new blog there, all you have to do is just look for, do a search on Crystal Ball 2024, or you can scroll to the end of the blog. And I always list the most recent blogs beneath it. So you may be interested in the underperforming Dow Jones Industrial Average and full of fossil fuels and forever. You may be interested in some of the blogs that I just posted, investing in Portugal, et cetera. And of course, this one, which is the 2024 crystal ball will be at the end of, um, you know, once I post the next one, which may be on college plans. All right, so there's that. And again, also go to nataliepace.com, follow me on social, Instagram, is the one that's showing up on my Instagram feed on the homepage. And if you will subscribe to my broadcast channel, which you're gonna have to do on, you, you'll see it if you do it, look at it on your um, phone, on your mobile, um, then you will have access to whenever I post a new blog because I'm always gonna post it there. So let's jump right in to the forecast for 2024. So will the election year roar as loudly as the pre-election year did? So 2023 was amazing for stocks and that kind of beat expectations, right? So we have seen an impressive rally um, as of the 26th. So two days ago, it was 25%. And that's pretty amazing. That's very, very, very strong. I mean, if you see here, I went ahead and posted um, you know, what the average is for each of the election year cycle. And as you can see, 26% is well above what's normal for a pre-election year. So that was pretty exciting and very unexpected. Um, also that we haven't had a recession yet, very unexpected each year, uh, both, you know, uh, 2022 and 2023, we we're expecting to have some weakness due to the rapid rate hikes that the Federal Reserve gave us. Uh, it's been very resilient. There are reasons for that. I tried to outline many of them in this blog, so you're welcome to check that out. But when we were looking at whether or not next year could be as robust, there were many things that we took into account, right? So 
We talked a little bit about how 2022, the losses were 19.44% uh, in the S&P 500, that we did have two quarters of a contraction, but it was never actually called a recession. Um, so the, both the drop and the quarters would normally be called a recession, but they didn't call it that. So we didn't have a recession in 2022, but nonetheless, it wasn't great. And even more importantly, bonds were terrible in uh, 2022. So we'll talk more about bonds. We're going to stick with the stocks for right now. But that's important because bonds are the safe side of your portfolio. That is where you're supposed to preserve your capital, not, not lose, not have it on any kind of roller coaster. And as importantly, that's responsible for a lot of the weakness that we saw in the banks. So we've already seen five banks fail in 2023. Um, the Federal Reserve has set up a special uh, loan facility for banks. So if they are credit worthy and they have assets, then they don't necessarily have to declare the paper losses on their earnings reports for up to a year. And this facility is available through March of 2024. So banks can um, extend it and probably through March of 2025. However, that doesn't mean that we're gonna have another gangbuster year in stocks, even though a lot of the things that would cause the economy to slow down, there is more money that's been thrown at it. Um, and as in the case with the banks, it's, um, allowing them to look better than they would look if they didn't have this, you know, infusion of capital. So it's important to realize that even though we did have this robust rally, it's kind of propped up uh, with a lot more of the paper money. And as you know, we have a great deal of debt, which the Republicans are yelling about and for good cause. So, um, We'll talk more about the bonds in just a moment, but the bottom line is that there is expected to be a minor recession in the first and second quarters of 2024. Some economists are saying we won't see it. Some are saying that we are. We will, of course, see whether or not we see it. Um, it won't be announced until the second half of the year because that's the way that it goes, right? Like the end of the second quarter is going to be at the end of, uh, June, and then we won't know whether or not we've had two quarters of contraction until the end of July when um, the BEA will release the GDP for the second quarter. So, but it, it's, and, and by the way, even with that, it's supposed to be mild. As you can see, the contraction in the first quarter is less than 1%. It's still supposed to be mild. And over the, <clears throat> excuse me, over the course of the year, it is expected to be lower GDP. So this year, GDP is supposed to come in around 2.4. And next year, it's expected to come in about 1.6, 1.7. So it's a lot lower next year than it's expected to be this year. And definitely, there is predicted to be weakness in the first and the second quarter. Now, a lot of the things that we were worried about um, haven't impacted yet, but could not necessarily for another year. So another thing that we were worried about was the student loan resumption, which occurred November 1st. 60% of student loans are actually being paid. But the interesting thing is that the Department of Education has said that they will not um, necessarily be hard on people. They're offering them what they're calling an onboarding ramp. 
over the next 12 months. So people can not pay their student loans and not have too severe of consequences until next November. So that's another thing that could help to keep the economy chugging along in 2024, although it's still going to be a lot slower than it was this year, but not predicted to be more than that small recession or a mild recession, or maybe maybe we don't have one at all in the first half of the year. That's the predictions. Of course, things can change in the real world from the predictions. Now, the other thing that I wanted to point out is that there's a divergence between value and growth. And there's been particularly poor performance in older companies that are laden with excessive debt. So I do want you to click over to the blog that I wrote last week on the underperforming Dow Jones Industrial Average, because when you look at the difference between the performance year to date of the Dow compared to the NASDAQ, again, and we're seeing this pretty consistently over the past two decades, that the Dow is a much slower performer than the NASDAQ. Now, the other thing that I point out in my blog is that Without the support of the Magnificent Seven, they really were responsible for largely almost all the gains on Wall Street. They were just rocketing up. And Microsoft, Apple, um, Intel, IBM, and Salesforce are all in the Dow, thankfully. Otherwise, that would have been negative uh, performance in the Dow. So in our sample pie charts, what we're doing, as you can see here, is we are actually using value replacements. And the reason for that is A, the uh, underperforming of the Dow Jones Industrial Average, but also you can actually get more creditworthiness and a higher yield in some of the other countries that we talk about. Um, and we spend one full day on what's hot and what's safe at, uh, and then another day on what's safe. So two out of three days and day one is our nest egg strategies at our investor educational retreat. So if you haven't rebalanced in the, in the last year or two, and definitely, if you haven't done value replacements, it might be a good idea to join us for our January 13th um, online financial freedom retreat and get updated on some of these uh, value replacement funds that we are interested in. Again, we spend a full day looking into why we're interested in them and all of that. Um, obviously, in a 20-minute uh, video conference here, we're not going to be able to go into what I can do over a three-day financial retreat. But um, important for you to know that there are substantial reasons why we're doing value replacements. It's never a bad idea to be diversified and to diversify and not just have all your eggs in one country. Another issue is that a lot of the U.S. equities are very expensive. So we, if you do not, like we have been leaning into the Magnificent Seven, not only in our large cap growth, but also in a hot slice. So uh, as an example, the ETF TECB, Tech B, offered by iShares is basically the Magnificent Seven. It does include other uh, companies as well, but it really leans into the Magnificent Seven. So rather than just buying uh, that Tech B at an all-time high, we have an onboarding procedure for that. It's known as dollar cost averaging. And maybe what you want to do is take your time about it. That way, if it keeps going up and you're paying it more, it's still dollar cost averaging in into it. If it goes way down, you're buying more at a lower price. So 
by using this dollar cost averaging rather than just buying high. And then if we do hit a recession and the price goes down, you'll feel like you lost money rather if you have spaced it out and say, okay, over the next 18 months, I would like to fill up that um, pie, that's pie slice. And so whatever amount it is, if it's, you know, um, let's say you're doing 20 months and you're doing $20,000, that would be $1,000 a month. Or if you don't want to do it monthly, do it, you know, 3000 every three months or 4000 every four months. So that's one way of dollar cost averaging into something that's very high priced. And of course, you can take a look at some of the things that might be a better value right now. Um, the rebalancing of our pie chart is a great way, if you mark up what you do have and mark up what you should have, the slices that are too large are telling you sell high and the slices that are too small are saying buy low. Of course, that's assuming you wanna keep it. Like if you have something in there that you no longer think is hot and you wanna put in another hot slice, then you're gonna reevaluate that, right? Or if you um, previously had large cap value in the US and you decide you wanna do it in Australia or another country, then maybe you're going to have a plan for exiting out and dollar cost averaging in if the other one is trading high. So in general, we're still overweighting 20% safe because equities are so expensive. I'm going to go back to that CAPE ratio chart. So equities in the United States, not necessarily in all of the world, but definitely in the U.S., the only two times when equities were more expensive or stocks in the U.S. was during the dot-com recession and the Great Depression. So stocks are pretty expensive right now. The average P.E. is normally 17. It's almost 31. And in the dot-com recession, dot-com stocks dropped 78% and took 15 years to recover you know what happened in the Great Great Depression. So um, again, that's one of the reasons why we are overweighting 20% safe. And the other reason is that there is the whales move very fast in today's world. So we saw that in the pandemic between February 19th and March 23rd, which is basically one month, the S&P 500 dropped about 35%. Uh, actually, it was closer to 38% at the, you know, the high to the low. So the things move too fast for us to be able to react on Main Street. We kind of get, you know, we kind of get drowned by the tsunami of the well splash. So it's really important to, I think, be anticipating that and be rebalancing at least once a year, once, twice or three times a year. Now, the other side of it, what do you do on the safe side in a world where bonds are losing even more than stocks? So as we said, the bonds, long-term government bonds, and that was the problem for a lot of the banks that failed. They lost 26% compared to almost 20% in the S&P 500. So the safe side is not supposed to lose money. That's where you're supposed to keep your money. So be careful, right? Because in today's world, you can get a 5% yield, but it's tricky because if you go for a long-term um low credit quality and get five or 6%, you could lose a lot of principal, right? Like so we saw the long-term um, government bonds lost 26%. So that 5% yield is not making up for what you lost. But um, if you are careful and you keep the credit quality high and the terms relatively short, then you are going to be able to earn that 5% yield. And that is meaningful, right? Like if you have a million dollars, that's $50,000 a year. Again, you don't want to lose the million to make that 50,000. So you got to be careful about it. 
I do have a few blogs and video conferences where I go into this in greater detail. And we also really go into this at our investor educational retreat. We spend one full day on what's safe. I will tell you this, and um, this is another thing. Um, let's see here real quickly. The best ROI, almost 40%, and seven life hacks that save thousands. The safest bonds that we could possibly do, especially as we get closer to retirement, but honestly, even if I was a Gen Zer with my own home, I would consider doing some of these things, is tossing bills out the window, right? So that's giving us our best ROI, is if we can figure out how to in be energy efficient, generate our own power, um, if we live in a city, maybe giving up our transportation could save us about $8,000 a year. So th by rethinking our, the what you know, stop making the billionaires rich and keep more of that money for ourselves, and spend it on things we like a lot more than gas, gasoline and electric bills, right? So I want you to think about that. Like a lot of us are getting not, you know, obviously we have a, a good Yay, we have a good uh, portion of the younger generation listening to us. But as we get closer to retirement, this becomes imperative because when we go on fixed income, if we have managed to reduce and toss most of our bills out the window, we might actually be able to stay in our current lifestyle with a reduced income and live the same life. So um, don't underestimate the power of some of these best yields found in areas that are not bonds, but are actually paying us in a different way. Again, that's not the only thing we go over. On, we also go over bonds and ways that you can get a safer yield um, and more credit worthiness and uh, you know, what short-term means and all that sort of thing. Um, we spend one full day on all of this at the Investor Educational Retreat. Now here's housing. The housing market is still fairly frozen, but prices have remained at very close to an all-time high. They are unaffordable in almost every county across the United States. This is uh, tracked by Adam data. So on average, people are having to spend about a third of their wages on housing if they wanted to own a house. Rents are not much cheaper. So this is a big problem still, right? And so I would just be really careful about buying a real estate right now. Now, one interesting thing that has come up, which may help on the interest rate side, is that if you can buy a place and assume the existing loan, especially if it has a much lower interest rate, that's going to help you on the interest rate. But it's not necessarily going to help you if you're buying super high, because one of the worst things that can happen to anybody is if they buy real estate, and especially if they're financing it, and the value of that real estate drops, especially if it drops far beneath the um, amount that they have mortgaged. Now, there's been a very robust um, non-foreclosure, you know, there was a moratorium on foreclosures. There's been um, robust encouragement for the banks to do loan modifications. And all of this has resulted in 5.2% of all homes are now severely underwater, even with prices near an all-time high. So I would just say that a pay, being a patient buyer and an opportunistic seller 
are always a good idea. Although in real estate, obviously, you might want to keep the money in the family. It can be a good way to hold wealth. So uh, understanding what you want to do with your real estate is something that's going to require more than just saying, oh, I'm going to sell higher. Oh, I want to buy something because I rent my rent's so expensive. There's an entire section on real estate in the ABCs of money, including case studies. Over the past 20 years, we have been helping people with real estate, both buy on the buy side and the sell side. And we have a lot of case studies. And I also have a 10-point checklist. One other thing that I want to say is that we this year, it was everything about Portugal. Portugal, 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 because there have been so many gains over the past eight years. It's up like 150%. And I would just say, be very, very careful because they just changed the laws on the expats. And there are a lot of people that got out over their skis that are getting a little desperate. So if you get approached to buy in Portugal, whether it's online or through email or even a friend, you know, be very, very careful. I did do a recent blog on Portugal, and I strongly recommend that you check that out so that you're aware of the pluses and minuses there. Um, again, we'll go back over to the list. It's not that hard. So there you can see at the end of each blog, I do a list of the most recent blogs and you can just click over to that blog on Portugal. All right, so we've gotten through um, that. Now, commercial real estate remains a big problem. And this is a survey that the Federal Reserve does of the risks that um, a lot of the respondents, which are either gonna be economists or CEOs or, or bank CEOs are concerned about. And as you can see here, commercial and residential real estate is one of the biggest concerns. Commercial real estate even more than I would say residential at this point. So this is another one where I strongly recommend uh, the most recent commercial real estate blog was the WeWork bankruptcy blog. So I would strongly recommend that you read that. But, you know, I'm not the only one, I'm sure, who is walking around in the malls or even on my city streets and noticing so many vacancies. So we still have a lot of work from home happening. And this is a big problem with um, the commercial real estate. Now, the Federal Reserve Board is asking the banks to work with the commercial real estate developers who are have the highest credit quality. That wasn't the case with WeWork, but there are other big commercial real estate developers that are out over their skis as well. Very low, the lowest rung of credit quality, um, you know, empty buildings and all of that. So this is an area I'd be very careful of because this is another one of those where they you might get seduced in by a very high yield but what happens, and we saw this most recently with Hudson Pacific Properties, it was the yield was like over 15%. And then all of a sudden they had to cut the uh, dividend because they were just running out of capital. And then, of course, once the dividend cut, the price drops. So be very careful. Um, I would be strongly underweighting real estate and especially commercial real estate in my stock portfolio for REITs that sort of thing. And if I um, definitely be careful with private placements uh, and don't reach, don't reach for yield in today's world, there's just too much debt and too much distress, especially commercial real estate. Believe it or not, cryptocurrency was the top performer of the year. It's up 156% the last time I checked. Let's see where it is today. 
So Coinbase was at, um, the Bitcoin was at 42,000 when I wrote the blog. Let's see where it is. Might take just a moment to get there. And Bitcoin is about where it was when I wrote the blog, right? So not bad, 42,625, especially when it started the year at 16,000. Now, the key here is that crypto is very volatile. So this is one where it's a better idea. And also it's not safe, right? You can't have currency that's worth 16,000 one day, 42,000 the next day, 69,000 the year before that. Like that's not a currency. And in fact, crypto is not being used as a currency unless you're using it illegally, honestly, and you're trying to launder money. It is being used as a trading platform. So people feel like they can get rich, like they can buy at 16, they can sell it at 42. They're going to be very happy about that. Now, it's more common for the whales to be on the right side of the trade. So for Main Street to get on this side of the trade with the whales, using the pie chart system can be helpful. And the reason for that, let's say, for instance, that you started off the year with a slice at, at $16,000 Bitcoin of Bitcoin. And now it's at 42,000, right? So maybe now you have three slices. It's screaming at you so high. Doesn't mean that you have to sell everything. If you still really believe in Bitcoin, sell two slices and trim it back to one. And that way, if it goes down to 16,000 and your slice becomes a sliver, you can buy low again. So again, that pie chart system with the regular rebalancing is a buy low, sell high system on autopilot. And rather than just riding these huge waves of whales in cryptocurrency, why not have a strategy that allows you to buy low and sell high while staying invested if you really believe in it, instead of having to go through these enormous crypto winters where you know your wealth can go down by more than half. Now, gold and silver are interesting because they're also considered to be safe havens, right? But they have been the worst performers over the last 10 years. A lot of that has to do with stocks being high, but also the younger generation believes in crypto more as a safe haven. Now, the jury's still out whether or not Gen Z and millennials will ever get interested in gold and silver. But one thing is for sure, they do like meme stocks. So if we start to see stocks go down and concerns over the massive amount of debt that's in the world and some bankruptcies by corporations or problems in the commercial real estate market, if we start seeing people getting nervous and moving into safe havens and we start seeing, I, in my view, silver has a greater potential because it's at half of, less than half of where it's all time high, whereas gold is still trading very close to its all time high. So um, the younger generation does like gains and they do like meme stocks. So if they decide that silver is going to be a really cool thing, then it could be that silver is our next star. But the jury is out on that because uh, they definitely haven't been interested in gold and silver. And they definitely have been more interested in crypto when they were concerned about a lot of debt or whatever it might be. All right. So. Uh, moving on to copper. Copper has been coined as the new oil for the reason that it is involved in every aspect of the clean energy revolution. 
So everything from, you know, lithium ion batteries to the grid, all, all these things, copper is just such a great conductor of energy. How can you invest in copper? Well, that's one of the country uh, replacements that we're using for our value fund. So we are at this time preferring Peru over Chile. Chile's the number one copper producer, but they have other issues going on. And that was giving, again, typically it gives about double the yield of what the U.S. does as well. So it, um, you could do it as a value replacement and you're smaller, you're mid, or you could think about it as a hot slice. So let's take a quick look at the yield on it. And if we look at the iShares Peru, it's EPU. So I'll go ahead and put that in. And we'll just look at the yield. So right now the yield is 4%. A lot of the value funds in the US are on about 1.8 or less. So by going outside of the US for your value, um, you could be getting you know, in, into a hot industry like copper and you could be getting a better interest rate on the dividend side as well. All right, so let's see if there's anything else in here we want to talk about so again it's easy to be seduced by headlines when something gets really hot like you know crypto at 69,000 and then you got to go through two years of it closer to 16 um it's easy to want to make up losses when something tanks like bonds have instead of making a better choice, because maybe bonds are not going to be like at, with the bond market. And again, I went in this more with um, in the blog, you know, if interest rates start to get cut, then people will say, oh, well, bonds will recover. So you should just hang on even if you have losses. But there's a couple of things that are problematic with that. The first thing is that we credit quality is not going to improve until either the companies restructure through a bankruptcy thing, or they start really making a boatload of money. And in a recession, that's not going to happen. And then B is that the interest rate cuts, um, if they do occur in 2024, right now we're at about 5.25 to 5.5. And if they get cut, they're only they're still supposed to be about 4.6%. That's not a dramatic cut. So um, it could improve a little bit. So I did talk a little bit about how there is an inverse relationship between interest rates and bond values. But the big issue with bonds is that there is duration risk and credit risk. So the interest rate uh, risk will is is less now, but that's not the only risk out there. We still have duration and credit risk. So I would say on the safe side, you have to know exactly what you own and why. You want to be uh, leaning into credit quality and shorter durations. If you want to extend durations, I still think you should be thinking more in the short to midterm, not the long term at all. And um, if you need help evaluating what you have in your bond portfolio, that is something I do through my private coaching um, in my unbiased second opinion. Again, I don't sell financial products, so I have no incentive to sell you something else. I just want to give you the news and information you need to make the best choices for yourself. Um, yeah, so I'm going to go ahead and pause it here and see if anybody has any questions. We'll answer a couple and then I'll come back and I'll close it out. So hang on.
closing thoughts to come. Okay, so I do want to invite all of you to join me online for our January 13th through 15th Investor Empowerment Retreat. We update you on all of the things and more that we just covered in our crystal ball um, and how you can be safe, protected, hot, and diversified. And the Saturday after that, we're going to have our rebalancing masterclass. Um, so I'll show you exactly how I mock up my pie chart, how you can use that exact template template to mock up your own. So if you have a lot of individual stocks, like which slice do they go into, right? Um, so you'll be evaluating various things and learning how to uh, compare apples to apples by inserting all of your holdings into that 10 slice pie chart. And then after that, we have the Restormal Royal Manor House Retreat. And that's intended to put you into an area and a space where you can live all of the precepts that we talk about. You're going to be at a Royal Manor House where a lot of the things that you might want to do, it's easier to walk or ride a bike to it than it is to drive. Um, there's a much, you may not know this, but a lot of people in Europe has, have a CO2 footprint that's one third of Americans and Canadians and Australians. So why not go and learn some of these lessons, especially when it means that we could be saving thousands of dollars in our own budget with some of these um, interesting budget saving uh, adaptations that we can learn from the Europeans. So if you are interested in this, you can learn more about both the January 13th through 15th online retreat. Just go to nataliepace.com and click on that retreat banner ad. You'll find out how much it costs, uh, what the hours are. You can read testimonials. You'll discover the 15 items you'll learn, all of that. And if you are also interested in our Restormal Manor House, Royal Manor House experience, that's a week in Cornwall, then just click on that banner ad and you can check out even a video that was made by, um, you know, our college student who attended in March with us. And again, do follow on social media where you get the daily money tips. Obviously, I'm not going to send you out an email every single day, but you can um, check out our Facebook page, X page, um, Instagram, LinkedIn, email, Spotify and Apple, and of course, the YouTube channel, which has all of our free video conferences. Now, I also just um, am in the process of updating my 21-day prosperity video coaching series. That's going to be posted on my YouTube channel within the next few days. So um, I do encourage you to email us at info at nataliepace.com so that you get the PDF of that as well because it has extra links there. And um, Happy New Year early to all of you. And thank you for joining me.